Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's good, everybody? It's your man, James Johnson, uh, one half of the Believe in Jaguars podcast duo here. Uh, I'm riding it solo this time around. As you all know, my co-host who normally joins me and uh, normally kicks this off, Phil Smith, uh, he's not with me today. Uh, not feeling too well, feeling a little bit under the weather, if you will. So we were going to send some positive vibes his way. That being said, I'm going to be riding this one solo as we have a lot to talk about uh, probably the biggest news of the year, or at least the biggest news of the season. But then again, you probably should say this is the biggest news of the year in totality for the Jacksonville Jaguars occurred this Sunday after we took on the Cleveland Browns and lost our 10th consecutive game of the year. Dave Caldwell was fired and the Jacksonville Jaguars have moved on from him as he was Shad Khan's first hire as a general manager, the first guy that he brought in to lead this organization uh, back in 2013. But Khan actually, uh, Khan actually purchased the team, if I can recall, uh, in November of 2012. So uh, I guess, you know, there was the transition period. And then when January hit, he officially, should I say, became manager or the uh, owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2013. Dave Caldwell was named his guy. And as we all know, Dave Caldwell and him did their search for a head coach, ended up with Gus Bradley, and, uh, you know, the rest is history. But Dave Caldwell was relieved of his duties, fired, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, again, it was somewhat surprising, but at the same time, uh, we knew this is where it was headed, maybe a little bit. Uh, maybe some of us felt that they would maybe wait till Black Monday, if you will, or wait closer to late December or whatever the case may be. But Ian Rappaport reported that the Jaguar shot Khan and maybe even Tony Khan met with Dave Caldwell the day before, which was Saturday before the game against the Cleveland Browns, had dinner with him explained to him everything, thanked him for his services, and the rest is history. The next day is when the news actually hit the surface and was it was revealed that the Jacksonville Jaguars moved on from Dave Caldwell and so on and so forth. So we're going to talk about that. And then afterward, we'll talk about the game briefly uh, because, I mean, we're at the point of the year where we know it's coming at the end of the season and, uh, you know, the, the focus is more so on that. But, I mean, there's some things about the game that we can go over. As we all know, the Jacksonville Jaguars fell to the Cleveland Browns again, following that trend of remaining competitive. This time around, though, I guess you could say there is no longer the worry of Dave Caldwell surviving because of these games being competitive. Because, as we all know, he was fired uh, after the game. But it went down to the wire. 27-25, Browns won that one. We'll go over the game a little bit. We'll talk about some standouts, so on and so forth. And then in the end, maybe, depending on how time is running, I may try and uh, stick a little something-something in there about Lot J because, as we all know, basically the vote for the city council on their side of the deal, uh, the vote has to be 
tallied or what have you. And uh, yeah, we'll know the situation about that as Lenny Curry has, you know, been speaking and uh, has been very vocal about uh, the the city council signing off on it, trying to uh, rush them into it and so on and so forth. And, you know, it's an important thing that's going to go on tomorrow when the city county, uh, when the city council goes in there, deliberates and makes these votes as well. So we're going to go over that as, uh, you know, me and Phil have done our best to kind of keep everybody informed on that situation and what have you, especially with it concerning a lot of the taxpayers money of uh, which we've been vocal about. It shouldn't be that way. Um, because, you know, Shahad Khan is what top five, top 10 richest owner in football or whatever the case may be. Uh, but I digress from my point. Uh, if I have the time, as I was saying, I'll get into Lot J. If not, we'll just push that off. And uh, we'll talk about that in the next episode as the decision will be made on that on the city council's behalf um, for episode. I think that'll be episode 47 or 48, perhaps. Uh, I lose track of these things. We've been doing this for a minute, but uh, you get the point. So before we get into that, uh, we got to pay some bills real quick. We got a message from our sponsor, betonline.ag. And as everybody knows, the NFL is pretty much in full swing right now. And while you might not be at the game because of the times and the pandemic and the coronavirus and so on and so forth, uh, you still can be in on the action via betonline.ag. Now, the interesting thing about betonline.ag is they have all of these kind of amazing prop bets that you could go up and put some money towards, uh, so on and so forth. I've looked at some today, as a matter of fact, myself uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars situation in terms of firing Dave Caldwell and the pending firing of Doug Marone, it feels like. And they have prop bets on this kind of stuff. Uh, they have, you know, who will be the next coach fired. Uh, they have also things on who will be uh, the Next coach for the Detroit Lions was one that I saw uh, and some guys that we've mentioned on there, by the way, uh, for the Jaguars vacancy, Eric B enemy, uh, so on and so forth. You know, some, you know, some of these hot names out there, uh, Greg Roman, uh, they even got Daryl Bevel up there, if I'm not mistaken, who was their former coordinator or is their current coordinator now that I think about it. So, you know, a lot of names up there that you could choose from if you want to make the call on the Lions situation, uh, so on and so forth that you could do. And it's other prop bets on other sports uh, that are very intriguing that you can go over there and check out as well. So it basically ranges from game spreads to totals to teams to players to coaching props. Uh, bet Online pretty much gives you more options in terms of wagering than any other place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It pretty much never closes uh, for all of those out there uh, who like to gamble and, uh, you know, try and win some holiday cash. You know, this is the perfect time to do so right now because, I mean, simply put, uh, you know, the holidays are here. Uh, you could use an extra hundred or two dollars to spend on the kids, to spend on the wife, to spend on so on and so forth. Might want to get mom something, might want to get your girlfriend something, whatever the case may be. Head on over to betonline.ag. Uh, you know, take your swing at your prop bet or whatever the case may be and test your luck and see where it goes. So head on over to betonline.ag today where you can take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses that they have going right now, again, that's betonline.ag, your online sports books experts. So to get on into the actual show itself, as I said, we're going to start with Dave Caldwell's firing. As we all know, he was relieved of his duties. Actually, it happened on Saturday, 
as uh, I previously said, according to Ian Rappaport, they met with them on Saturday. It sounds like they broke the news to him, thanked him for his services. Uh, it came to the light, however, on Sunday after the 27-25 loss to the Cleveland Browns. And uh, now the Jacksonville Jaguars have a vacancy, albeit Trent Baalke is the interim for right now. Uh, but when the 2021 season or the 2021 offseason arrives here, uh, Shad Khan, if uh, he's smart and he's a wise GM, uh, he'll clean house, uh, Balky included, coaches included, so on and so forth. Let a, a fresh, uh, a fresh person come into this equation and uh, you know do his work and build his team. And hopefully that person he brings in is actually somebody that does the job a little bit better than Dave Caldwell, who is a guy, by the way, that I've praised on this podcast. And Dave Caldwell is a guy that he's had some hits. Me and Phil had that podcast where we looked at his top five or so hits and we looked at his top five busts as well. Uh, but he can actually scout, make no mistake about it. Uh, but I think it was the team building aspect that hurt him. And most importantly, this is something we've long said dating back to the Jags den days. Uh, Jacob DeLawrence included. Shout outs to Jacob who runs the Believe in NXT podcast. But uh, you know, Blake Bortles was his biggest mistake and his unwillingness uh, to move on from Blake Bortles, despite how cheap contracts are in terms of first round picks and quarterbacks, his unwillingness and that stubbornness to move on or not move on from Blake Bortles uh, when you had opportunities to get Lamar Jackson, uh, you had opportunities to get Patrick Mahomes. You had an opportunity to get Deshaun Watson. The unwillingness of that and to stick with Blake Bortles, who is a practice squad quarterback right now, is one of the key factors that pretty much led to the demise of Dave Caldwell. But that being said, Shotgun now is going to be tasked. Maybe he even gets a firm to help him out with or a consultant or whatever the case may be. But he'll be tasked with finding the next GM for this team. And he's going to have to look for... Uh, elements that Dave Caldwell failed at and they, elements that Dave Caldwell didn't bring to the equation. And that was team building again. And the whole thing, I mean, the the biggest key variable in this is you got to find the best guy that can evaluate a quarterback as well. And not only that, somebody, in my opinion, what Shotgun should be looking for is a culture changer because obviously the Jaguars culture as of late has been more good or more bad than good. And right now it's a stigma and it's hard to shake. And you're going to need a special individual to shake this losing culture and and make you a winning culture uh, because under shotgun, it has not been good. He's only had one season of all of his seasons as an owner. So what was that eight seasons that he has had a losing season and hasn't made the playoffs of uh, nine? And, of course, the one that he did have success in was – 2017 of course same applies with Dave Caldwell that was Dave Caldwell's only successful uh year as well as Doug Marone at least with the Jacksonville Jaguars was the run in 2017 uh where we were defeated by the New England Patriots in the last round of the AFC playoffs so now I want to transition with all of that said into who I believe uh should be the top guys or, you know what, I'll just say we're going to transition into who the top guys on my personal list are. And I'll start, I'll, I'll do three. 
I'll do three from my list of six that I actually posted on the Jaguars wire. Uh, but I'll do three. We'll start with the number three guy on my list. And that guy is Ed Dodds, who is the assistant manager of the Indianapolis Colts right now. Uh, he's there with Chris Ballard, who is a very good GM in my eyes, um, by the way, who came from the Kansas City Chiefs tree. Uh, so, you know, right off the bat, the good thing if you hire Ed Dodds is you are uh, taken from your rival's front office, basically. You're, you're getting their uh, second in command in terms of the front office and football operations. You're getting their second in command. And you already seen what these guys can do. I mean, the only thing that like has really held them back is the loss of Andrew Luck, which was unexpected. But, you know, we could be looking very well, looking at a very successful franchise since Ballard has been there uh, if Andrew Luck is there. But I like some of the moves Ballard has made. And, of course, you would think Ed Dodds has had a hand in helping out there. But, you know, we saw recently this offseason uh, where they got – DeForest Buckner via trade. I thought that was a good trade. Um, you know, albeit they had to give up their first round pick, but you could just treat DeForest as your first round pick. And they, you know, paid him some money when they got him over there. And uh, by the way, they've been very good at managing their cap. Um, it's been a few times where they've they've been in my in my opinion, or uh, if I can recall correctly, they've been atop uh, the list in terms of available salary cap. And so on and so forth. So they've done a good job with management there. And I mean, like, I like some of the draft picks they have made since he's been there. Uh, you're Quentin Nelson's of the world, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they got Jacob Eason. Everybody know I'm a big Georgia Bulldog fan. They picked up Jonathan Taylor, who, you know, that's a guy I was high on. I was banging the table for the Jazz to get him um, in the second round of this draft. Uh, they got Michael Pittman Jr. And then you look at some of his other picks that I kind of do like. Um, albeit they may not be uh, where some want them to be right now, I guess you could say. But um, Paris Campbell, the receiver from Ohio State, really liked him coming out of the draft. Uh, Darius Leonard, who can forget about Darius Leonard as well. Braden Smith, who starts on their offensive line right now with Quentin Nelson. So, you know, since 2017, when Ballard got there, uh, a lot of good moves have been made in terms of, uh, you know, building this Colts organization uh, post-Andrew Luck. And that being said, uh, you know, looking at those moves and what Dodds potentially had his hand in and helping Ballard, uh, he is a very intriguing uh, prospect or an intriguing candidate for this opening. Now, when you look at his resume, uh, many have said he's, a guy because he previously came from the Seattle Seahawks. He was their personnel, uh, their senior personnel executive, and he was credited with putting together and concocting the Legion of Boom, which we all know, like they had a great run over there in Seattle, and that was the best defensive years of Pete Carroll's tenure. Now he can barely get to the quarterback. Uh, Pete Carroll can't, and that defense can't, and you know it's it's just been a, kind of a on defense, at least, it's kind of been a struggle. He's also been, and I'm talking about Dodds here, credited with banging the table for the guys um, in that front office to take a swing at Russell Wilson. We all know how that's going, basically. Uh, Russell Wilson currently playing at an MVP level. Uh, he's a guy that many, many times we've said we would like to see in a Jaguars uniform, but instead that year, and this wasn't Dave Caldwell's fault, it was the GM's fault before him, uh, that year, 
if I'm not mistaken, they took Brian Anger, the punter, before him. Uh, shout outs to former manager Gene Smith. And uh, we know how that's going for us right now. So uh, when you look at those two tidbits with the Legion, the Legion of Boom and Russell Wilson, and then coming over and learning from Ballard, from that Kansas City tree. And, you know, we all know that Kansas City tree, everything they touch is gold. So he's picking Ballard's mind and so on and so forth. But I think with Dodds, the most important thing with him that I really, really like about him is just his commitment to football. You know, this is a guy that I don't think he necessarily wants to be in the spotlight. He doesn't necessarily uh, want to be in a lot of, at least in my opinion, it feels this way. And from what you read, he doesn't necessarily want to be in a lot of press conferences. Uh, He doesn't want to be the guy. I saw this one story on The Athletic where the front office or, you know, some of the staff or the people below him were celebrating about the Colts uh, going to the wild card, what, a year or two ago, um, the wild card round. And uh, they, of course, they lost and they got knocked out. And, uh, you know, here you have Dodds here uh, fussing and, and whatnot and getting the guys in line saying, look, we did nothing. You know, there is no award for, and I'm just paraphrasing him, uh, there is no award for going to the wild card round and so on and so forth. Uh, so this is a guy that's a no-nonsense guy. He simply uh, has no tolerance for mediocrity. And you could just tell that his love for football is there. And that is perfect for the Jacksonville Jaguars in the sense that we have a, a owner, shotgun that many – and, you know, I can agree with the body of work and what we've seen has been kind of an absentee owner and doesn't care about enough or, or doesn't care enough about football and doesn't care enough about the Jacksonville Jaguars, at least not to the level that he cares about Fulham flexing gate his other projects so why not get somebody as phil said last week in the last episode get somebody that very very much so cares about the game of football and dodds is a guy that in my opinion uh he that's what strikes me about him and his um non-acceptance of mediocrity and then you add in the body of work that you've seen the Colts basically put together since he and Ballard has been there and it's pretty impressive to say the least now, with Dodds now, I don't want to make this thing too long. The thing here now, the whole connection to Seahawks or the Seahawks uh, may scare some people, of course, with Gus Bradley and Todd Washington, so on and so forth. And a lot of people have said, you know, that he's connected kind of at the hip. Being from that Seahawks tree, Robert Sally, who, as we all know, that's the 49ers defensive coordinator. However, um, both him, it feels like Dodds and Sally, I guess you could say kind of evolved uh, and become a little bit bigger or a little bit better than that Seahawks uh, stigma, if you will, since leaving the organization. Um, Dodds, by any means, isn't Todd Wash. Um, and if you're making that comparison, you're simply not doing your uh, your research, you know, and he's a guy that uh, has advanced the scheme more than uh, what we grow accustomed to with the Legion of Boom and what we've seen with Dan Quinn and Gus Bradley and Todd Wash. And that's what makes him interesting. And he is a guy that was a former assistant uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars. You got to feel like he'll be cool with coming back and having a head coaching gig, a young, bright mind, um, and a, a well-respected mind. And the people the people in the league like where he's going, and they like how he's matured. They like how he's developed, and he's well-regarded for that reason. So, you know, if the, you go that route, Dodds hires Sally. The issue with that is, you know, like me personally – 
I think the Jacksonville Jaguars, with the situation they're in with the number two overall pick where they likely should get a quarterback, I think they need an offensive mind, you know, as in terms of a head coach at least. But you never know. You know, you get a guy like Robert. He may have, and, you know, this is something he may run by people in interviews, Shad Khan, whoever interviews him. He may have this very bright offensive mind, this well-known offensive mind as an offensive coordinator that he's going to bring with him. Uh, that can make people overlook the fact that he's not an offensive mind himself. So that's the number three guy for me. And the number one and two, I'm going to just put these guys 1A and uh, 2A or or 1A and 1B, should I say. And um, those guys for me are Mike Borgonzi, who is the Chiefs Director of Football Operations. Basically, uh, it feels like, you know, how how I gather, he's like the second-in-command in that front office under uh, Brett Veach, uh, the most well-regarded name, not Brett, uh, the most regarded name in that front office, not named Brett Veach. Uh, he's basically the next in line from that Kansas City, that Kansas City group to get a job. And we've all seen what they built um, over there, the monster that they built and what they done with Patrick Mahomes and so on and so forth. And the second one, and I guess you could say in this case, more so 1B, is Joe Horitz from the Baltimore Ravens organization, and he's their director of player personnel. So when starting with Horitz, what instantly, and not just me, but just, you know, this is everybody in general. I mean, and this is a key factor in when these lists are made in terms of the top candidates, uh, you, you look at the winning organizations and so on and so forth. And of course he's coming from, to me, arguably Joe Hortis is coming from arguably the best. Uh, well, in my opinion, there's no arguably in it. He's coming from the best, uh, most consistent front office there is out there. That's even better than the, the Kansas city chiefs because long before that chiefs, run or this recent Chiefs run you got to remember the Ravens won a Super Bowl they won two as a matter of fact they were consistent in and out of the play uh, constantly in the playoffs year after year after year after year and so on and so forth so this is a guy he's been with that organization dating back to the days of Ray Lewis basically he came in as a personnel assistant and you know when you've been in that organization that long and learned from the greatest GM of all time in my opinion and Ozzie Newsom, you get to pick Ozzie Newsom for what, 20 years? That's a guy that I'm interested in personally because he's been with that organization so long, which has been consistent. And, you know, a lot of people like the thing about that Ravens tree is a lot of people don't like to lead that organization because they know they understand the consistency and just they are basically the epitome of how an organization should be ran and what every organization wants to be in terms of a front office, despite not necessarily having uh, the amount of rings that the Patriots have, so to speak. Um, and, and, you know, the thing with the Patriots has always been they, their assistants go off to other places and do not have the magic formula or don't win like they did when they were with the Patriots. Uh, so it's just something about Bill Belichick, man. He, he, whatever it is, whatever his secret is, he's not sharing it with the rest of his guys and they go off and uh, they basically just become failures at their next job or whatever the case may be. But back to the topic at hand with uh, Joe Hortitz here. He's also worked under their current GM who has been with Ozzie Newsom forever as well, Eric DaCosta. So he's been picking Newsom and DaCosta's mind uh, dating back to the late 90s. 
uh, which again, you know, like that in itself is worth giving him a call. Uh, he's a guy that also from my, how I gather it, he's a guy that um, may be analytic friendly. So that might intrigue Tony Khan, who, as we all know, like the shot Khan's son, obviously uh, he, he does some things in the front office as well. You know, it varies on who you ask exactly what he does and, how the structure goes there in terms of where uh, Tony Khan ranks in there. But the bottom line is this is a guy that Tony Khan might also like and might get in his dad's ear and basically say, hey, you know, this is the guy. Um, In addition to all of that great stuff that I named uh, with him before. So you have this guy that has been with the Ravens for both of their most recent Super Bowls uh, or those Super Bowls that have come in the 2000 era. You got a guy that's learned from Ozzie Newsom, Eric DaCosta, for over 20 years or, or 20 or so years, whatever the case may be. Uh, you got a guy that basically, and, and this was a key for me, I went and looked at the Baltimore Ravens, uh, basically their records since 1998 when Hordits got there. And there were times where, of course, you know, over that long span of time, there's going to be low points in the team's history, basically. So basically what I'm saying is Horditz has seen, and not only him, but Ozzie Newsom, uh, DaCosta, they've seen the best of times with the Ravens. They've seen the worst of times with Ravens. They were there when Brian Billick was on top of the world and won the Super Bowl. They were also there when Brian Billick was on the downswing and had to be, I guess, fired or relieved of his duties or whatever the case may be. Um, And he was, you know, Basically, they moved on from him is what I'm saying. So that's important because that uh, that explains or that shows that basically uh, that Hortis at least has the ability to see a organization at its low point and understand how to build an organization back up to a high point. And that's something the Jacksonville Jaguars need in addition to the culture they need to establish that the Ravens have. You know, the Jacksonville Jaguars and their fans can only dream of the culture that the Ravens have consistently going to the playoffs and so on and so forth. But back to the point at hand, if you look at Hortis in terms of how long he's been there, you know, he's seen them have some 5-11 and 11 seasons and, you know, be on the downswing. So he understands how to get the team back on the upswing and, and back to, you know, a, a very or, or back to functioning at a high level. And that could apply for the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are at a low right now. They're going to win one or two games at the most. They need somebody who understands how to get them to a, a high or a get register better wins, should I say, or register more wins is the best way to put it, and remain there and be consistent. And if you're looking at it from that perspective and you're looking at it from getting somebody from a class act organization, he checks off all of the boxes there. And in my opinion, you know, he should probably be the top guy. Um, But, you know, Borgonzi is also a guy that, you know, who I'm going to get into in a minute. He's also a guy that has been with the Kansas City Chiefs since the late 2000s and um, much like Hordits, I guess I will just get into Borgonzi here. Much like Hordits, he's seen the worst of times with the Kansas City Chiefs, and he's seen the best of times with them, obviously, um, when they just recently won the Super Bowl, getting Patrick Mahomes and so on and so forth. But he was also there in 2008. I think that was his first year with the organization. He was there basically 
uh, when they had Todd Haley. And as we all know, you know, Todd Haley had some success there. Uh, but at the same time, Todd Haley also had some struggles there and put together some some bad seasons there as well. So, again, going back to, you know, what I was saying about Hordes, Borgonzi, who has been with that organization uh, back in the day, he understands, you know, how to get the Jaguars from the low point they're at and how to make them a consistent winner. And going back to the Patrick Mahomes thing, the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to probably have the first or second overall pick. And they need a great quarterback evaluator, especially if it's the second overall pick and it's not a a surefire uh, quarterback prospect like Trevor Lawrence. They need somebody who's going to evaluate Justin Fields, uh, evaluate Wilson, Kyle Trask, so on and so forth, and uh, decide who is the best quarterback of those guys. Now, I mean, you know, clear, cut, and dry, you know, most of us will tell you that's Fields, but... Uh, you don't want any doubt in your mind in terms of the quarterback evaluation and the evaluations that's going to go into this process. And, you know, a guy that can pick Patrick Mahomes, and that's that's the quarterback that Andy Reid has always wanted. You know, a guy that can make that call. Of course, they traded up to get him. They were so sure about it. And look at him. He's the league's MVP. You know, anybody who had anything to do with making that call and scouting him and that process of getting Patrick Mahomes, that's a good thing for your organization if you don't have a franchise quarterback, which the Jacksonville Jaguars don't, but have the opportunity to get in next year's draft. So from that perspective, and not only that, but they've drafted Travis Kelsey. They've drafted Tyreek Hill. They've drafted plenty of guys into that organization who are you know players that have gotten extensions with them and you know they was it was it last year that they put in six pro bowlers or so into uh the pro bowl itself albeit i don't think they attended it because they were in the playoffs and they had bigger and better things to do but that organization sent like six guys to the pro bowl and had various all pros and you know borgonzi has had a part in that and that being said, with him seeing them at a low and getting them to the point where they're at, putting in six pro bowlers into the pro bowl and various all pros into the all pro team, uh, that's a guy that you also would want uh, in your organization. So from that standpoint, those are my three top guys. Uh, I would be very, very interested in hearing all of you all's top guys at home. Feel free to, you know, tweet us uh, your answers or whatever or uh, put your uh, answers in the comments of our Facebook page or our Twitter page, whatever the case may be. Let us know who you believe personally uh, would be the best fit in terms of a GM to replace Dave Call. And I mean, you can throw your coaching prospects in there as well, too. Uh, but I guess we'll save that here on the podcast until, uh, you know, Doug Marone is officially fired, which, again, that'll be either at the end of the season or when they name a new GM. All right, so we'll move on to the next topic at hand, which, as I said, will be a, a brief summary of the game itself. But before we do that, I got a drop from our fellas or um, our buddies over there at the Believe in NXT podcast. As I said, Jacob DeLawrence, who used to podcast with us before we joined Believe, uh, he is one of the two hosts there as well as his uh, buddy and partner in crime, Cedric. Um, very, very, very good podcast over there for those of you who are into the wrestling community and so on and so forth. Like I am, um, I actually watch more NXT now than I actually more uh, or than I watch more Raw and SmackDown. 
uh, because, you know, those two programs aren't even uh, close to the level of that program. So we're going to play that drop real quick from them. And then when we come from the break, uh, we'll talk about the game in itself as the Jacksonville Jaguars fell to the Cleveland Browns Sunday by a score of 27 to 25. What's up, Jags fans? My name is Jacob DeLawrence. Some of you may recognize this voice from back in the day with the Jaguars Den podcast, but I am coming to you right here in the middle of your Believe in the Jaguars podcast to simply let you know that, hey, if you're a fan of pro wrestling, feel free to check out the Believe in NXT podcast hosted by yours truly, Jacob DeLawrence, and my co-host, Mr. Cedric Welton. Yeah, so if you like wrestling, make sure you tap in. We got all the gems for you. If you like Minshew Magic, you're going to love what you hear over here. Come for the sidebars, stay for the wrestling. Exactly. That's right there on the Believe in XT podcast. We're available. Same place that you got the Believe in Jaguars podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, Google Play, Have Podcasts, Will Travel. Appreciate you guys for checking us. Now we're going to get you right back to that Jaguar talk. All right, so once again, shout-outs to the Believe in NXT podcast, Jacob and Cedric over there. As for the game that transpired on Sunday between the Jaguars and the Cleveland Browns, this was an entertaining one, and it was one that was pretty much uh, close all throughout. And the odd thing about it is the Jacksonville Jaguars basically limped into this game and were without several key members, and they were starting their third quarterback, basically, because as we all know, the Jake Luton project failed and Gardner Minshew uh, wasn't cleared to play, at least that's uh, not what the team reported, that he was cleared to play. Uh, so Mike Glennon went out there and went 20 for 35, 235 yards and two touchdowns, had a pretty good uh, showing. And uh, as a result, you know, he'll probably keep his job um, for the time being, at least. And uh, I mean, you can, you can kind of, if you want to critique him, the fourth quarter, uh, they, they kind of went, I guess you could say a little bit, cold or he went a little bit cold there uh, if you will but nonetheless I mean like if you look at this thing on the quarter to quarter basis they stuck with the Cleveland Browns even took the lead at some points in the game and I mean that's all you can ask for when granted the circumstances of starting Mike Glennon and also granted the circumstances of the state that the defense was in due to injuries so on to the rushing statistics uh, once again James Robinson I mean we can't talk about him enough 22 carries, 128 yards, 5.8 yards on the average, and a touchdown, which came in the fourth quarter, of course, if I can recall. And uh, that being said, though, James Robinson, man, he's now in that category. He's been in this category, actually. I've said this in the past, but he's now in that tier where you have to consider really, really putting this man in the rookie of the year conversation and I mean I know he plays in a small market this that and the other and the odds are stacked against him uh, but there is a legit case that he should win that award if he was put in it uh, but I guess it's a time will tell type of thing but you know that's that's one of the bright spots that we have consistently talked about me and Phil on this podcast in terms of him showing in week in and week out and that's a good thing because with Dave Caldwell now out of the picture 
They're going to have a new GM. They're going to have a new coach next year. And, you know, this is one of the building blocks that that coach and that GM will inherit and that new quarterback probably because, as I've said in the past, you know, you're looking at the first or second overall pick, you probably need to go quarterback there. So, you know, the, this guy just keeps building his resume and whether he wins uh, the rookie of the year award or not, you know, he is going to be a big time weapon for this offense next year and the remainder of this year as well. I mean, and just to kind of show like how much of a workhorse he was and how much of a workhorse he's been for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, the next best rusher statistically was Mike Glennon, who had two carries for six yards. Uh, so that's just absurd right there in itself. So this guy's pretty much doing it by himself in an era where, you know, a lot of people uh, would prefer to use a two-headed monster in terms of the rushing attack. Now, in terms of the receiving, another rookie showed up for this team and led the way in that category alongside James Robinson, which just keeps, uh, again, that just keeps adding on to what I've been saying about this rookie class. They are getting great production out of this rookie class. The only issue is it's not translating to wins. Uh, but again, that does sometimes translate to a brighter future. That does translate into an appealing future in terms of this GM search that we have coming up and this head coaching search coming up as well. But Colin Johnson stepped to the plate, led the way four receptions for 96 yards, had the touchdown. So while he didn't get a lot of catches, the catches he had, he was very effective, averaged 24 yards a catch. So, I mean, he was that guy for Mike Glennon. And, you know, when Mike Glennon needed a big-time pickup of yardage, Obviously, he went to Colin Johnson. Uh, shout outs to Phil, who, again, you know, as I said earlier in the podcast, is not feeling all that well. But uh, shout outs to Phil, a Texas fan. This is his guy. And uh, he gave uh, Phil and the whole Texas nation, the Longhorn nation or uh, whatever they go by. He gave them a lot to watch uh, despite only having four receptions. But he gave them a lot to watch in terms of highlights and excitement so can't wait to see if he can you know propel himself with the five remaining games on the schedule and uh, have a very good December and also you know give some excitement for the next GM and the next head coach to look at as well and give some excitement to the fans as well uh, so he's a guy I mean look fifth round pick you know if you continue to get this production out of him that's excellent especially for where he was drafted, so on and so forth. So the next guy behind him was Keelan Cole, three catches for 44 yards. So big discrepancy there as well, kind of like in the rushing category. So that kind of shows you that uh, Colin Johnson led the way for this receiving core that was without DJ Chark and Chris Conley. So, you know, those guys could come back next week against the Minnesota Vikings. But that being said, if they don't, I'm – totally fine i mean we're in tank mode anyway i'm totally fine with getting more looks at colin johnson and seeing how he can develop i mean it, it wouldn't hurt uh that's for sure so defensively you look at the defensive stats joe schober led the way against his old team had seven tackles and one of which was an assist a uh, gerard wilson who uh actually sustained an injury i can't recall if he uh, came back into the game or not, but he sustained an injury. He was the next leading tackler with uh, four tackles, three of which were assists. Um, I mean, pretty much the moral of the story when you look at this defense was just uh, the passing, uh, the secondary, should I say, and their struggles against Jarvis Landry and, and this receiving core, which, I mean, again, that was to be expected. I mean, you're without Sidney Jones, who is your best 
cornerback. You're without C.J. Henderson, who went on IR a few weeks ago. You know, that's your first overall pick. Uh, you know, like I said, if I can recall, Wilson got injured as well. So, you know, you're looking at a banged up and battered secondary just all around. I mean, you know, even though it was Baker Mayfield and, you know, he has his critics and so on and so forth. Uh, the the bottom line is, you know, this, this secondary was starting Josiah Scott, a rookie that we got in the fourth round and a guy that, you know, Daniel Jeremiah has spoke highly of. And, you know, me and Phil are very excited to watch, but he just hasn't had a lot of opportunities at that nickelback position. And I think this might have been his first or second game playing in the nickel. So, you know, this guy, I mean, he got a harsh welcoming into the NFL, uh, you know, you just throw the kid out there in his first or second game against Jarvis and Landry. I mean, it's bound to happen that he's going to get burned and have a, a rough day. So that's that was exactly the case. And, um, you know, hopefully he gets some more time as this year ends, you know, in, in December on the field. And, you know, he can kind of develop himself because, I mean, you can't develop yourself on the sideline, obviously. And it's on the Jacksonville Jaguars coaching staff to get him out there and get him more exposure and so on and so forth. Um, Luck Barku, the other rookie who had to start, he actually made some plays here and there. Um, and, and he flashed. And the weird thing about it is we've been asking, myself included, week in and week out, why is Luck Barku uh, continually inactive after the summer camp or the training camp that he had and the praise that he got in, in training camp and the flashes he had in training camp. And I mean, if you're going to keep a guy on the roster, I mean, I know he may be your fifth or fourth corner, but at some point, you know, you got to let him get some exposure, even if it's just on special teams and so on and so forth. And this was, if I can recall the first game that he was activated and albeit it took all of these injuries to do it, it shouldn't have taken that. Uh, he should have been seeing a little bit of time on the field, not necessarily on the perimeter, but to some degree. And finally, I mean, unfortunately, it came at the expense of injuries. He finally got his chance to uh, show himself up. And and maybe, you know, this could lead to more playtime for him as well. So, I mean, in summation, that's what this game came down to is, was the struggles of the secondary. Otherwise, you know, it was a winnable game. The Jaguars offense uh, they did enough to win the game, in my opinion. And again, when you look at the game in totality, however, the Jacksonville Jaguars put up. I don't want to beat a dead drum here or just, you know, uh, look for silver lining here. But they did, all things considered, look good uh, with a lot of third stringers and fourth stringers out there. So we'll see how uh, they, they bounce back against the Minnesota Vikings, who, uh, you know, that's a team that's on the brink of becoming a playoff team. I think they're like one seed away from a playoff seed. Um, they're one game away from hitting 500 in terms of um, their, their records. So they're going to be hungry. They're going to bring it. Of course, you know, they're more known for their defense than anything, but uh, we'll see how the Jaguars fare and we'll see how much healthier the team gets. And uh, you know, if that helps them to keep it close as they did against the Cleveland Browns, uh, but again, we'll look at the injury reports and, and time will tell. But again, one thing that they probably shouldn't do is win this game uh, because at that point, at this point, it does not help. I mean, you've seen the articles I put up on Jaguars Wire. Uh, basically, uh, the Jaguars were eliminated from playoff contention. They were the second team to uh, be eliminated. The Jets were the first, of course, and that was week before last. So uh, the playoffs aren't there. I mean, I know Doug Marone, 
albeit, you know, he's going to be gone at the end of the season more than likely. I know, you know, he wants to keep treating this job as something that he cares about and keep getting the best out of these players week in and week out, and they're going to continue to fight for him. But all I'm saying is, uh, let's hopefully let's hope that that doesn't lead to a win. Albeit the Jaguars do have some space between them and the next team in terms of if they you know they lose a game or they win a game, should I say? I think they still would have the second seed. But I mean, at this point, it's more so about the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. If you can get in on him, and that's not to say that Justin Fields isn't a great consolidation prize. But look, all I'm saying is. If you can get the number one overall pick and get a shot at the next best prospect since Andrew Luck at the quarterback position, uh, then why not shoot for it? You know, if you're a Jazz fan, especially considering what this franchise has been through at the quarterback position. So, as I said, I was going to try and get into the Lot J thing. However, we'll just hold off and we'll save that to next week because of where the time is running on this podcast. And actually... The city council, I got my information in the beginning of the podcast wrong. The city council will vote on it later this week. And it's a possibility that, you know, they might not come to a conclusion. Then it might carry over into the week after. So when all of that is over with and said and done and we get the latest on that, we'll talk about it. That might be next week. Um, That probably will be next week, should I say, even if they don't make a decision. Uh, We'll try and give you all an update on that. So in terms of the Jaguars wire, of course, I'll be uh, putting up some information on the Vikings and whatnot, uh, players to watch, so on and so forth. Um, you know, the, the typical stuff. I'll try and do a question, a Q&A, or should I say exchange with Vikings Wire if I can. It's kind of been a busy week. But, you know, we'll keep you up to date on them, keep you up to date on the Jaguars injury report, the Vikings injury report, so on and so forth. And uh, make sure you all are ready for Sunday's game, which will be week 13 of the NFL. So we've almost made it to the end of the season. Just hanging there. I know uh, it's kind of tough, but then again, as I said, they've kind of been making it competitive and they've kind of been making it watchable. There's no kind of in it. It's actually been watchable football aside from if you can get away from the element of losing, which I know that gets old after time, even if it is competitive. But that being said, I mean, when you look at the future, this is probably what's best for the future. So just keep that in mind as we continue on through this NFL season. And then when we get into January, uh, things will get a lot more exciting because changes are on the way and so on and so forth. So next time we'll uh, have Phil on as well again. Hopefully he uh, starts feeling better sooner rather than later as usual. Then again, holding it down for one or two episodes is fun. I mean, that's how I started podcasting in the beginning. You know, it was just me. And then uh, it kind of trickled into having co-hosts and so on and so forth. So I uh, enjoyed this episode as usual. You all know where to find all the information at in terms of the Believe in Jaguars podcast. Uh, feel free to rate, comment, subscribe, this, that, and the other. Uh, check us out on Believe.com. There's iTunes, there's Stitcher, there's TuneIn, there's Luminary. There is all of the above pretty much every major platform, Google Podcasts as well. You can find us feel free to check us out. There is no excuse for you all to not be listening to the Believe in Jaguars podcast, which is the best Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. And until next time, I'm James Johnson and I'm signing out. And as we end every episode, this has been the Believe in Jaguars podcast. Everybody have a good night.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.